evidence and answers. Is there really evidence for an intelligent creator? What is this evidence that we can look at? And how do you present the arguments for God to a group of teenagers? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an international teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In this episode of Evidence and Answers, we will tune in as guest speaker Clint Manley discusses to a group of high schoolers the overwhelming evidence for God. This message was taken from the 2019 Evidence and Answers Youth Apologetics Conference. Now... Here's Clint. So what you end up with is a cause that is extremely powerful, uncaused, necessarily existing, non-contingent, non-physical, immaterial, and eternal, who created the entire universe and everything in it. If you don't want to call that God, that's fine. You can stick with that definition. But most people would refer to that as God. And so if the universe started, there has to be a God. No free lunch witness tells us that since the universe began to exist, it must have a cause because you can't get something from no thing. And the only thing that could have started the universe is what we would call God. So we have two more witnesses to look at. The next witness is called the Goldilocks witness. And the Goldilocks witness, it's really what's called the fine-tuning argument of the universe or the teleological argument. And what this witness says is that the universe is perfectly balanced for life. And an intelligent designer is the best explanation of that design. Think of it this way. Goldilocks liked things just right. She didn't like the porridge too hot. She didn't like the porridge just cold. There was a perfect balance that she liked. Let's say you were walking through the woods and you came across a cabin. And as you're walking up to this cabin, you hear music playing. And as you get closer, you realize that the music is actually your, your favorite song in the entire world. You walk into the cabin and the first thing you notice is that all of the decorations are what you would have picked. Your favorite colors, your favorite posters, all over the walls. You walk to the fridge, and you find all of your favorite foods, and you don't find any of the foods that you hate. You walk into the closet, and you see all of the clothes that you personally would choose to wear on any given day. And then you walk over to the entertainment system, and it has all of the video games that you most enjoy, and all of the movies that you like and none of the ones that you don't like. What you would conclude is that someone arranged that cabin with you in mind. They knew you, and they knew what you liked, and so they set up the cabin, and they prepared it in just the right order for you to get there. Well, you can kind of think of the universe as that cabin. It's just right for life. It's fine-tuned for life. The initial conditions that came out of the Big Bang that we just talked about and it's really important that it's the initial conditions because what that does is it actually bypasses any of the arguments of evolution and Darwinism by going to the very source. If these conditions weren't right, then no life could have existed anywhere at any time in any way in the universe. And so it actually bypasses the evolutionary argument. And these initial conditions had to be delicately balanced in order to permit the existence of life anywhere in the cosmos. And guys, this is not something that Christians say. This is scientific fact. Atheists recognize the appearance of design in the universe. How many of you guys have heard of Richard Dawkins? Sweet, I got three. Awesome. <laughs> well, he's basically, he's a very famous atheist, very popular. A lot of atheists will appeal to him as one of their spokesmen, essentially. 
And he wrote a, a book called The God Delusion. And one of the things that he says in this book, and, and I'm quoting, is one of the greatest challenges to the human intellect has been to explain how the complex, improbable appearance of design in the universe arises. So this is one of the most famous atheists in the world, and he says that the universe appears to be designed. Another atheist who's a scientist, Freeman Dyson, this is what he says. As we look out into the universe and identify the many accidents of physics and astronomy that have worked out to our benefit, it almost seems as if the universe must, in some sense, have known that we were coming. So this is not just a Christian thing. This atheists readily admit that the universe appears to be fine-tuned. The difference is the explanation to that. And let me give you an example of what this fine-tuning is. Basically, it's, it's, um, there's two kinds of fine-tuning. There's constants in the universe and quantities. The quantities you can think of as like the mass of the universe. And the constants are um, numerical values that are, that are in some of the equations of the laws of physics. So the law of gravity has a gravitational constant. And that's just an arbitrary number, a random number in that equation that dictates how gravity works in the universe. These numbers are incredibly fine-tuned. So we couldn't change the numbers at all or life would not exist anywhere in the universe. And let me give you a couple examples of this, but let me read this quote to you first. This is another atheist speaking, and he says, the cliche that life is balanced on a knife edge is a staggering understatement in this case. No knife in the universe could have an edge that fine. So we're talking about things that are generally accepted in science. And let me give you some numerical context before I actually give you some of these constants. If the universe is 14 billion years old, what that would mean is that all of the seconds in the history of the universe would be 10 to the 17. Or essentially there would be, it's a 10 with 17 zeros after. It would be all the seconds in the history of the universe, 14 billion years. Or all of the subatomic particles, because there's a generally accepted mass of the universe. All of the subatomic particles in the universe, that number would be 10 raised to the 80th power or 10 with 80 zeros after it. I'm going to talk about accuracy here in a moment of changing one part in a certain degree, but think about this. The accuracy of one part in 10 raised to the 60th is like firing a bullet from one side of the observable universe and hitting a one-inch target 20 billion light years away. So that's, that's the kind of numbers that we're talking about here when, when I'm giving you these constants and quantities. And we're just going to look at two. One is the cosmological constant, which dictates how fast the universe is expanding. And this constant is tuned. If it was moved at all from this range that I'm going to give you, there would be no life in the universe. It's tuned to one part in 10 raised to the 120th power. Or in words, that's 1 million, billion, 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 billion. Yeah, does that make any sense to anyone? That's the kind of numbers we're dealing with. Otherwise, there would be no galaxies or planets in the universe. Let me give you a tiny bit of context on that. So that was 10 to the 120th. If you had one part in 10 to the 80th, that would be like changing one grain of sand worth of mass compared to the entire mass of the universe. We're talking about absolutely ridiculous numbers when we're, when we're looking at these. Or the gravity constant that I just talked about, if that gravitational constant varies in one part in 10 raised to the 100th, 
matter would have recontracted into that singularity or it would have, there would be no grouping of matter at all in the universe. And that's it's actually considered the most flexible constant that we know. And that's 10 raised to the 100th power. If you combine just those two together, remember I said there's 30 of these, but if you combine just those two, the cosmological and the constant of gravity, if you combine those two together, the odds that those two constants would be set to support life is one in a hundred million trillion 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 trillion. Let me give you a little context on that. If you were to assign one zero of that number to every subatomic particle in the universe, remember, subatomic particles are, are electrons, they're smaller than atoms, smaller than atoms. If you were to assign one zero to every subatomic particle in the universe, you could not write that number down even if you used every bit of matter in existence. That's the kind of numbers we're talking about. And that's just two of the constants. Remember, there's 30 of these. So the only way to explain how life can exist in the universe is only three ways we can explain that. We could either say, well, the conditions had to be that way. They just happened to be that way, which would be chance, or someone designed them to be that way. Those are the only options. But it doesn't appear that it had to be that way. There's, that would mean that a, a life-prohibiting universe would be impossible. But there's no one who holds to that. Paul Davies, who is an atheist physicist, here's what he says. There is absolutely no evidence whatsoever that the universe had to have the set of physical constants it does. There's no reason to think it had to be that way. So could it have just happened that way? Could it be chance? Well, we've already looked at that a little bit. It's, it's pretty ridiculous to say that it could have been just chance. But the way that we're conditioned to think, as long as you have one chance in, or one part in something, that's a chance, right? The movie Dumb and Dumber, where he says, oh, so you're saying there's a chance. No, not really. Mathematicians generally agree that statistically, any odds beyond 1 in 10 to the 50 have a zero probability of ever happening a.k.a. completely impossible. Not one of the physical constants or quantities is anywhere near 1 in 10 to the 50. All of them are beyond that, not to mention them all together. So chance really doesn't make any sense. In fact, let me give you an illustration so you can conceptualize it a little bit. Imagine that we had a container the size of the Earth and that it was filled with trillions and trillions of white ping-pong balls. And mixed into that whole lot, you have a handful of yellow balls. Now, you're told to pick one ball out of this entire collection, and if you get a white ball, you die. If you get a yellow ball, you're allowed to live. So you hold your breath, you close your eyes, and you pull the lever on this massive machine. And when you open your eyes, you're amazed to see that there's a yellow ball there. In fact, you might even be tempted to think, man, maybe this is rigged so that I could survive. But let's take it one step farther. Let's say that you had to draw 30 yellow balls in a row from this massive machine in order to be allowed to live. Well, you close your eyes and you pull the first lever and you get a yellow ball. Wow, that was amazing. And you do it again and you get a yellow ball. Like, man, that's crazy. You do it a third time, a fourth time, a fifth time. By the sixth time, the only reasonable conclusion is that the lottery has been rigged to allow you to live. And by the time you get to the 30th ball, and they've all been yellow, you would be outside of the realm of reason to say, well, I guess I just got lucky. 
But that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the fine-tuning of the universe. It's really outside the realm of reason to say it was just chance. And so what atheists have been forced to do is come up with these philosophical thought imaginations that kind of try to explain it away. Any of you guys ever heard of the multiverse? Yeah, that's what they've come up with to try to explain away the fine-tuning of the universe. But that really only kicks the problem up one level because the multiverse, this mechanism that produces universes and it supposedly produces infinite universes and then, and then one of them has to be life-permitting so we shouldn't be surprised we have a life-permitting universe. But the issue is it just kicks the problem up one step and that mechanism would have to be fine-tuned to produce universes anyway. It, it really doesn't solve anything and there are a lot of problems with it. So. It couldn't have been chance. It didn't have to be that way. So the only logical conclusion is someone designed the universe to be just right. And we already looked at some of the characteristics that that designer would have to have. Only God could really design the complexities of the universe. So that's what the Goldilocks witness tells us. The last witness we're going to look at this morning is called the broken witness. And actually, Pat hit on this a lot last night when I said he stole my stuff. I wasn't actually mad. Someone said I looked mad. But I was really thankful that he already hit on some of this stuff. But the broken witness is really the argument from the existence of objective evil in the world. And this witness says that there is, there's something really wrong with the world. And only God can make sense of there actually being something wrong with the world. And on top of that, only God could actually fix what's wrong with the world. Let me give you an illustration. My wife was reading an article to me a, a few weeks ago, and it was about human trafficking. And I guess what's happening now is men are coming from other countries, and they're coming to our country, and they're tricking women on these online dating sites into dating them. And as they they get into relationships with them, they then get them pregnant. And then they tell them, well, if you come back to my home country, my family will take care of you and, and we can raise a family together there. They're then sold into sexual slavery. And on top of that, the children are sold on the black market, these infant babies. And what this broken witness is saying is there's something really wrong with that. Or you can think of all of the communist mass killings that have happened in this last century. Hitler was supposed to have murdered between 11 and 12 million people. Stalin is responsible for between 6 and 9 million people. And, and Mao, who was a dictator leader in China, he is estimated to have killed about 42 million people through starvation and violent crime. The broken witness says that's really something that is wrong with the world. And it's objectively wrong. It's not simply a matter of your preference but it's something that is outside of you that is really wrong in the universe. And actually, this is the main, the atheist's main objection to God a lot of times, but it doesn't even make sense on an atheistic worldview. And getting rid of God really does nothing to solve the problem. In fact, when you get rid of God, you really have no context to even say that there is something wrong with the world because you get rid of the standard. And evolution can't explain away evil because... Evolution deals specifically with genes and with matter. It's a naturalistic worldview. And moral judgments are value judgments that happen outside of the context of what is nature. So evolution can't even logically explain the evil that we have in the world. So this brokenness is an objective part of our world. But listen, you, you can't say that something is broken or something is wrong 
if there is no right way that it should have been. It doesn't make any sense to say that something is light if there's no such thing as darkness. You have to have context for that even to make sense. And if there's no purpose or standard or right in the world, it's meaningless to say that something is broken or evil or messed up. Pat actually used the illustration of a, a straight stick last night, and this is a quote from C.S. Lewis. And he says, My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of what a straight line is. What was I comparing the universe with when I called it unjust? See, without God in the picture on an atheistic worldview, you, you, you can't even meaningfully say that the world is broken because there's no way that the world should have been. It just is what it is. Atheism can't even make sense of the notion of broken in the world to begin with. And so the problem of evil actually becomes lethal for atheism instead of being an argument that supports it. And really, only a perfect standard setter could say that the universe was supposed to be a certain way. And that would be an objective moral lawgiver, is the only way to explain why there is real right and real wrong in the world. And so if the world is indeed broken in a real way, if the things that I mentioned, if the selling people into slavery, selling babies on the black market, if almost 100 million deaths in the last century from communist regimes, if that stuff is actually wrong, then it points to the reality that there has to be a standard, which points to the reality of a standard giver. And on top of that, the broken witness also says one more thing. It says that the Christian God can explain why the world is broken and how it can be fixed. The Christian God is the only way to make sense of evil and to give hope. Let me explain what the Christian worldview says very quickly. It says that God created man to enjoy his goodness through friendship. There is a loving relationship there. But both enjoying goodness and friendship with God, both of those things require a degree of moral freedom. Or you can think of it as being able to choose between God and other things. Moral freedom. But it's precisely because God is good and he wanted to create this that he created something that could go bad which is man. And even if God is all-powerful, if his purpose is friendship and joy and love, he can't produce that without moral freedom. We talked about the, the paperclip last night. Even God can't do the logically impossible because they don't even, those kinds of things don't make sense. God can't create a married bachelor. He can't do it because it doesn't make any logical sense. It's not even a real thing to, to say he could create. Same thing is true about moral freedom. If God wanted love and joy, there had to be moral freedom. But man chose not to love God. Man chose evil. He had the moral choice, and he chose to do wrong. And what happened when he chose to do wrong is man broke the world. And that's why we have things that are objectively wrong in the world, evil and suffering and interpersonal evil. The evil that man introduced to the world broke it. And God's all-good purpose was not simply that we should be happy, but it was to know him. We talked about this last night a little bit. That's God's ultimate goal, is that we would know him. And because that is his ultimate purpose, God has morally sufficient reasons for allowing the evil that is here so that ultimately more people would know him. Let me illustrate that. I said we have bunnies last night, and just recently we got one of our bunnies neutered. But listen, the vet pulls out the knife or whatever and slices them open, 
he thinks something really bad is happening. And to some extent, there is. There's pain and suffering for this little bunny. But ultimately, we put him through that because we knew it would result in a greater good in the long run. But that's the same thing with God. We are not in a position to assess all of the consequences of the evil that God allows right now in the world because ultimately God is concerned with the greatest possible good, which is the most people knowing him. And so he has reason that he can allow evil in the world. And on top of that, God sent Jesus to restore man to God and ultimately to fix what was broken. And that's what the Christian worldview says, is that, is that there is evil, and there's evil because man broke the world, but ultimately God will restore that and use that for the greater good. And so that's the broken witness. So in closing, we've looked at three different witnesses this morning, and, and, and really, I'm not as concerned that you understand the arguments that I've given you this morning. I want you to understand the context of thought. There are all of these different witnesses that say, yeah, God exists, God exists, God exists, God exists. All of these witnesses contribute to an overall case for the existence of God. Don't let anyone ever tell you that there's no existence for God. That's just wrong. You can look at the evidence and say, well, maybe there's not enough evidence. But to say there's no evidence, that's intellectual dishonesty is what that is. And so we looked at three different witnesses this morning. We looked at the no free lunch witness, which says, one, whatever starts must be started. Two, the universe had a start. And three, so the universe must have been started. And what we would call God is really the only thing that could have started the universe. We looked at the Goldilocks witness, which says the universe is just right for life. And that the only explanations for those perfect conditions are that it had to be that way. It just happened to be that way, or someone designed it to be that way. And then we looked at the third witness, which was the broken witness. And that witness says the world is broken objectively broken, and something can't be broken unless there was a way it ought to be. And only a perfect standard setter could say the world ought to be a certain way. So if the world is actually broken, that points to the reality that there is a perfect moral standard giver. So listen, the case for God is designed ultimately for that greater good I was talking about that incommensurate good that is greater than any other thing. This case is made and presented so that you guys can know who God is and can be in fellowship and enjoyment of him. And all of apologetics is really designed so that your mind can be convinced and you can remove those intellectual barriers so that then your heart can be connected to the king of the universe. That's what apologetics is. It's convincing so that there can be a heart capturing. And so my prayer for you guys in this time is that the truth would convince your mind so that Christ can capture your heart. And I want to read one verse before I close, and it's John 8, 32. And this is Jesus speaking, and he says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Jesus is the truth, and he brings freedom. So I'm going to pray and close right now. Lord God, creator of the universe, Uncaused first cause, absolutely powerful, intelligent, eternal. Lord, you are a great God beyond our imaginations. And we are so thankful that you have chosen to reveal yourself. And we are so thankful that we can know you and that you have given us truth that points up to you, Lord, and that ultimately will set us free to enjoy fellowship with you, God. I pray you'd open eyes in this place throughout this day, Lord. I pray that you would turn hearts and I would
pray that you would do the miracle that only you can do, Lord, and create belief in this place. Establish us in who you are and give us the capacity to enjoy you more, Lord. You get every bit of honor and glory and praise from this place today, God. You are a great, great God. And we love you. In your name, amen. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed the show today. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call at 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcast like this on the air, we rely on generous support from you. So for the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You will also find that we have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with your family and your friends. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, please visit them at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran.